Welcome back to the Dr. Supercoach podcast. You're on once again with Chizo. It's getting very close to the round one lockout here. So we've got some essential information, just some cut through all the BS and get right to the things you need to know. And to help me out tonight, I've got JB, mate. And you've had a pretty exciting week, it sounds like. Oh, exciting couple of hours, Chizo. I've just had... And I know you guys might laugh, but he's quite far and away the best footballer to ever grace the grass. But Shawnee Higgins has given me a follow on Twitter, and I, I don't care what happens for the rest of this year. It's it's been a good year. And uh, I, I'm just I'm a little bit torn because like I'm I'm really happy for you, and uh, obviously the uh, meeting that I had set up with Darcy Parish fell through, and I've just been heartbroken for the last eighteen months. Um, but I just don't know if I should be telling this, but I'm going to anyway. Um, you only like Sean Higgins for a meme. That's right. Like you you just think it's funny to say that. You don't actually genuinely think he's a good player, right? Categorically untrue, Chizo. <laughs> uh, I usually back you up in these instances, but I, I honestly cannot lie about Sean. Me and him have a close bond. I've never not had him in my Supercoach Classic team, and to be quite frank, I've actually had him the last two years of draft as well. So, Sean Higgins, my man, finally gave me a follow back on Twitter, and uh, yeah, it's, it's like nothing else even matters anymore. I guarantee you've been in his DMs, like, oh, what you doing? What you doing? What you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Want to meet up for a coffee? I'm too scared to soil the uh, the, the limited relationship we have. <laughs> oh dear. All right, so we'll jump into the uh, early part of the podcast, which is we go through um, our latest Patreon signups, the patrons that have joined the uh, the Doctor Supercoach Patreon. Um, you can meet us over there and and see some of the uh, good prizes that we have to offer. And um, depending what tier you get on, you can jump in on the Slack channel, JB, which is just almost too much to handle now. It almost runs itself. It's like almost self sufficient when new people come in because the the guys we got in there are giving great advice. <laughs> it's kind of uh, it, <laughs> counterintuitive to what we thought it would be because they don't come for us to advise they come for everyone else that's in there bantering so uh, that's been great um jb just run us through the first few names that you've got on the list there all right big shout out to Dwayne. firstly nick fisher ashley ton matthew thompson zachary pierce mark redston kung pao not sure if that's a legitimate name but thank you <laughs> kung, kung pao for joining uh justin kentish Justin Rhodes, I've uh, apparently all the Justins have decided to jump on board, and Michael Harmon, guys are legends. Thank you for joining. And uh, we've also got Brett Doyle, Warren Gordon, Joe Ross, Barry McLarry, another fantastic name, <laughs> Liam George, uh, Tony Nguyen, Josh Mosley, Chris Long, Regs from the admin group. Great to have Regs on board, and Harry Dixon Balls. So uh, great to oh. have Harry on as well. There, JB, he's uh, just signed on just uh, about five minutes before we start the podcast. Great to have you on there, Harry. Harry Dix- Dixon Balls. <laughs> That's. <laughs> I mean... And I thought Barry McLarry was a troll name. Yeah, are we getting trolled? <laughs> I think we're getting trolled there, JV. No, great to have you on there, Harry. Um, we've got a few teams to finally go through, JB. We should um, jump into that before we get into too much more on the podcast. Um, Carlton and Richmond have dropped, JB. Um, we've got a little, uh, a few interesting ones that we thought it might be in a little bit of doubt for round one, but um, we will go through the uh, the full lineups in a second, JB. But Tommy Lynch is named. Um, so I'll go through uh, Carlton side. I'll let you go through Richmond. Uh, Carlton, um, we do have Michael Gibbons named on the ground and a little bit of a heart attack, but we do have Will Setterfield named on the uh, the interchange. I was struggling to find him on the uh, on the field for a second there, JB, and had the, just a little bit of a panic. Um, <laughs> and uh, Sam Walsh named on a half-forward flank. So a lot of the, uh, the the, the rookie options from uh, Carlton have been named. Uh, any surprises on the Richmond side there, JB? A big surprise, Chiso. And uh, Tom J. Lynch has lined up for Richmond, which is great. Uh, the even bigger surprise is that Noah Bolter, uh, who I think uh, the coach was just quoted a, a couple of days ago advising they would not play together. Uh, they play a similar type role. Noah's more of a swingman than Lynch, who's obviously an amazing goal-kicking forward. But... Noah and uh, Tom Lynch on the same side, which makes us really question uh, 
Noah's job security. We thought previously if he wasn't going to play with Tom Lynch, he might get named round one while Tom Lynch still recovers and then he'd be gone for. But named in the same squad, that is absolutely massive news and not a lot of outs for Richmond as well. So I think Noah Bolt is going to be a real interesting one to discuss later on in the podcast when we talk rookies. Yeah, obviously um, both naming fairly strong sides. Andrew Phillips is the ruckman with uh, Matthew Loby as an emergency. No Matty Cruiser at the uh, at this stage. Um, and as you say, Noah Boulder, that's a little bit of a surprise to me because we've spent much of the preseason thinking that um, we I don't think that Richmond would go too tall. If they've got um, Lynch and they've got Rewalt in the forward line, it's unlikely that um, they would need another versatile player like a, a Noah Bolter. But obviously just his athleticism has uh, forced his way in. Um, so that's good to see. Um, it's also good to good to finally see the Michael Gibbons named on the ground. There was after that uh, second JLT, there was a lot of whispers that um, he might not get named, and we're all worried about his job security and his scoring potential. And he's got a terrible forward role, but um, at 102k, uh, you know, at least he's a warm body on the ground. So uh, potentially someone for our um, benches there, JB. Uh, so that wraps up the teams. Uh, nothing too much to report. Um, we should touch on the next important thing that you and I are both getting on Twitter just flat stick this week. And the question that's being asked, JB, and I'd like you, uh, for you to run through it in a second, is when is the final lockout? Because everyone's asking, um, as soon as Carlton and Richmond um, kick off, are the rest of our players locked in? And I know a lot of you out there might know this answer, but there's a significant portion that have been hitting us up on Twitter. I'd like you to finally just put everything to bed, JB, and explain it for the listeners. Yeah, and, and more specifically, uh, although the players won't be locked in from the first game, uh, are our trades locked in? So do we start having to count trades from the moment the game, the first game starts and have the two around, or do we still have unlimited? The answer is we still have unlimited trades, and uh, obviously the players will lock out as their games begin. And the final lockout on Sunday, the, the lockout for the final game, so as soon as that last that f- last final first ball start is bounced, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that's it. So your teams are then locked in, you're onto the two trades per week, and no more unlimited trades. So, yeah, I think it's good and important that everyone knows that. If you still have to play around with rookies, if you're you're busy tomorrow night for or tonight when the podcast is posted, if you're busy and, and can't get on for that game to mix around a few rookies when teams are announced, you've still got another full day the next day to make unlimited trades and, and fix up all your rookies. Yeah, so essentially uh, the only... Um, trades become a, a issue at the end of round one. So um, before... Um, uh, the start of round two is when your any changes um, start counting as trades, for example. Yep. Um, and obviously, if you're becoming late in the round and, f- God forbid, Fife is a late out and you have him in your side, you can infinitely change him to any other selection from either uh, the Ruse or Frio that you would like. Um, but obviously, because the other like teams... Like Sean Higgins. <laughs> like Sean Higgins. Um, but obviously, as the uh, other teams are locked out, you're only limited to those that haven't played yet. So um, that's certainly... Um, uh, hopefully clears that up for those that have been asking. Um, the next thing that I want to talk about, something that we've been um, kind of waiting to be revealed, JB, because it wasn't really our position to start um, shouting from the rooftops, uh, the Phantom and uh, the uh, Phantom's Lair podcast, great podcast that um, I've been following for a long time. So uh, great to be part of the State of Origin League this year, JB, where we've been invited as part of the All-Stars team where you, Pistol, and the Gem Hunter Kane will be uh, vying for glory in the State of Origin League against some of the biggest names uh, in the Supercoach platform. And uh, I'm really, really excited about that, JB. Look, I, I am excited to be playing against some uh, some real big names in the Supercoach community, but in terms of uh, really difficult challenges come, I think this one will be a bit of a breeze, Jesus. <laughs> well, you know it's going to be a little bit easy when the, there's five teams in the uh, the league that have shields already set up and four of them are us. So I think the, I think the shield game uh, just needs to be picked up a, a little bit. Um, the Begala Brigade obviously uh, has his shield, but um, I, I'm liking the little orange and yellow I've got going uh, just to, to resemble the cheese. You know, maybe like a, a really mature cheddar or something like that, JB. So, um, and depending how the year goes, we might have to uh, add a new section in, in the podcast 
podcast. Uh, uh, I'm calling it Bants with Fants at the moment, just depending on how his team goes, uh, JB. We, we could have that. Obviously, if I tank, that's just not going to happen. Um, but we'll see how it goes. So uh, great to be on board, and uh, thanks for the invite, boys. It's gonna, going to be a fun year. Can't wait to uh, check in as the year goes. JB. It sounds like you're going directly at the fancy there, Jeez. Oh, is this true? Uh, well, it was just better than uh, coming up with like a cool catch name for like the eradicator. Like it's just too many, <laughs> it's just too many syllables. You, you know, can't nothing, rhyme eradicator. Yeah, it just, I'm sure I could rhyme it if I went on the uh, rhymezone.com or something like that. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, bants with fans just sounds good. Just rolls off the tongue. Uh, we'll enough. jump into the content of the podcast, seeing we've been rambling for a while now. I want to talk about um, some no BS information that's coming from us, who we think the best rookies are, who we think the best mid-prices are, um, do we need to talk about the buys, and we've also got La Hugs back for 2019 to help with our captaincy options, so we'll wrap up um, with a little bit of uh, talk about that. JB, the first thing I want you to do, I want you to talk to us through just the overall structure of our rookies in 2019. Is there a line that you see has more rookie opportunities than another? Is there one line that's kind of hurting us more than another? Just talk to me about that. I've never been more confused about rookie selections, I don't think, in any year of Supercoach uh, to this point. And it's getting more and more difficult. There seems to be less and less rookies named. Uh, the defensive line at the moment looks rather strong. It uh, looks like there's probably five good options in there that you could realistically take. Obviously, not all five are necessities, but uh, there are five okay options that you can justify. Uh, the midfield gets a little bit dicey after the first uh, few really good options. Some players that really uh, don't have the job security locked in, but look like they've got scoring potential and, and early rounds in them. Uh, a little bit to worry about there. Ruckman, obviously, we, we're looking for... Uh, I mean, I, I might as well just say it now. You're looking for a loophole or, or Zach Clark, essentially. So that's as far as that goes. Uh, forwards, I don't know about forwards. A lot of people are writing them off as, as sort of a weaker line for rookies. But that's where we seem to have a lot of our... Uh, tr- not tried-and-true rookies, obviously, but... It's, it's, that seems to be where we've got a, a few safe options that will actually play in, in some decent roles, some better job security uh, floating around in the forward line as well, but not really the scoring potential that we need. So each line has their faults, Chizo. Uh, each line also has a, a, some pros to them as well. It's going to be very tough and very telling with how many rookies people go into uh, the season with this year. So, okay, you've mentioned five defensive rookies that you're comfortable with taking into the new season. I'd just like you to run through those five, um, not particularly in any order unless you, you, you want to stick your neck out and say this is the number one defensive rookie. That's up to you. <laughs> uh, but just touch on a couple of guys you'd be more happy with and maybe we'll talk about some guys that might get a game but probably don't deserve a, uh, a spot on our sides this year. Okay, excellent. So, uh, firstly, uh, the obvious one is Sam Collins came to Gold Coast from uh, being the uh, the greatest intercept marker in, in VFL history, pretty much. Uh, we'll play a similar role. It's just probably, it is what they recruited him for, obviously, being that a good intercept player is not going to go and play forward. He might get a lockdown role for uh, maybe a couple of rounds, but they've got some, some players coming back that will fit back into that role. I think Sam Collins will score well and, and probably has the best job security out of... Uh, almost any rookie that I can think of, uh, if not tied best. So I think he's very safe. Jordan Clark is another one, um, fairly safe. The coach has has raved on about him. I I think he's a pretty certain starter in the best 22 for at least a few weeks unless form uh, dictates otherwise. Also shows good scoring potential as well. Jack Scrimshaw is a bit of a... He's a bit of a head-scratcher for me, Chizo, because on one hand, Clarko's come out saying he's done everything that he needs to. They've recruited a player that you know they, they probably shouldn't have gotten. He was homesick, and that's why he came to the Hawks. Otherwise, he, you know, he'd be doing well up at the Gold Coast still. And he's had a good injury-free preseason, which is uh, very rare for Jack Scrimshaw. But at the same time, he does have some conditioning issues and, uh, and other such things that they need to monitor throughout the season. Not to say that he'll be dropped or rested for any games specifically, but just something to keep in mind. If he does have a, a couple of bad games in a row, they, they might rest him for a couple of weeks and then bring him back. So he's a bit of a head-scratcher. Xavier Dersma is the next one, uh, number four. And uh, he's sort of... Uh, he's depending on which port supporter you ask. He either has great job security because he's you know, he brings a unique skill to our team, something that we've lost uh, in the in the off season just gone. Or he's sort of vying for that half back role that Bonner and about a dozen others are going for. So um, has good scoring potential but a bit shaky on job security depending on who you ask. 
And then lastly, Chizo is Marty Hoare. And to me, he just, he seems kind of safe. And I think a lot of people are stressing that he's, he's going to be playing May's role. And when he's back round two, Marty Hoare will be straight out. I think it's something that's, you know, it's definitely a possibility, but I think he's more likely playing the Jake Lever role and, and someone like Sam Frost will suffer for, for someone like Sam May coming back into the squad. So there's that. There's a few head scratches, but a lot of safety in defense this year, I think. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. I think the defenders um, is probably the line that I see a lot of teams running with um, more on the field than, say, your forward line, as you've mentioned. Sam Collins, um, when he played uh, for Freo back in 2016, averaged 73 across... 12 rounds so he definitely has uh you know the scoring ability he's obviously progressed uh, had two years in the vfl where he broke all sorts of um intercept marking records and things like that so he at 188k you're definitely paying a premium for him but what you're paying for is job security which is the like if i'm choosing between rookies that um uh, I'm not sure to choose between. I'm always looking at job security and then scoring potential is the second thing I look at. So um, the fact that he's going to get a lot of ball into the defensive line in Gold Coast, I think is only going to help him. Um, and he's got that, you know, 12 ground history when he um, had that big stretch of games where he can average 70 and above. And if he does that again, he's going to make us heaps of cash. So that elevated price is definitely worth it. Um, the the thing with uh, Marty Hall that, as you touched on, I think that Frost is probably coming in for May. I think what we saw in the JLT is that he played alongside May and um, he wasn't the best on ground, but I think he played his role and I think um, he's got a spot to lose at Melbourne. So if he keeps playing well, I think we can be um, a little bit more confident on what he can um, bring in for us. The two that we should probably touch on, Ben McKay is probably going to get a game for North um, when Scotty Thompson comes back, but he's got low scoring potential as a uh, kind of a lockdown defender, so I'm not you know super keen on him. And uh, Chris Burgess, DPP from Gold Coast, looks like he's going to be playing tall forward for um, the Gold Coast, which uh, you know they have to rely on a lot of goals um, to to help their scoring potential. So potentially, I think people that are running Chris Burgess at the moment are. Firstly, looking for you know job security, um, but also they're probably using his DPP swing to help if they uh, have Darcy Moore. And the last one we should talk about, uh, JB, is uh, Wilkie from uh, the Saints. Um, not a great JLT because they threw him in the rucks when uh, um, their ruckman went down. So we haven't really got some great exposed form to look at. Um, but just keep in mind, he might be named depending on whether they choose to play... Um, uh, like a Sam Rowe or a John O'Marsh or, or something like that. So, yeah, just keep an eye on it. Um, but uh, they're the ones we'll talk about. We'll jump into the midfielders, JB. Uh, obviously, we've got Sam Walsh probably at the top of the list for job security and scoring potential. Uh, but talk about some of the other guys that we uh, we should be looking at. Yeah, Sam Walsh, absolute lock. There's no reason to discuss him. Constable's the next man who's probably second in uh, job security, I think. I think he's very safe after playing a full year in the VFL last year, uh, really priming himself for this season and had a great JLT, one of the best points per minute uh, in the JLT series altogether. So not not even considering just for a rookie. So I think he's fairly safe uh, to put on your field, maybe. Uh, definitely a bench option. Zach Butters <laughs> is the next one. Sitting on the fence there, mate. He's definitely maybe going to be a good selection. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I mean, I mean, look, if you've got someone like Zach Butters and Sam Walsh, like, uh, you'd be benching Constable, obviously, but I'd, I'd be kind of comfortable with having him. I'm still on the fence about it. But, <laughs> the, the only yeah. thing that worries me about Charlie Constable um, is that He's kind of something they already have. He's a an inside kind of ball-winning midfielder um, that drives the ball forward. And you think of Dangerfield, you think of Selwood, you think of like uh, Metagola, Tim Kelly. They've got a whole wrath of guys that play the same role that he does. So whether he's surplus to their needs is, um, I guess, the question. But you can't deny his talent. And uh, a lot of people were worried in the second JLT. He only played half a game, blah, blah, blah. He sat out the third quarter for um, you know uh, loading reasons, but as soon as he came back on, first bounce of the fourth quarter, he was straight back in the guts again. So um, yeah. I think they're they're going to be willing to give him a go, and you know the the, the amount of effort that he puts in, I think he's going to have to really um, lose his position by stinking it up majorly, which I don't don't really see that happening, JB. So sorry to butt in, I'll let you keep going. No, I tend to agree there. I think you, you spoke well. 
Next up is Zach Butters for Port. Uh, we'll be playing a sort of half-forward, uh, forward pocket type role. Uh, that generally doesn't go well with scoring potential, especially if our poor are on the end of a few more losses this year. But this guy, uh, when he gets the ball, he's just so efficient, and he either turns a disposal into a, you know, a scoring shot or a, a scoring shot of his own, a scoring assist. Like he's just always in an, in the action, and you know he's getting the ball around that forward fifty. He uses the ball very well. Very smart player for his age. I think he's uh, fairly locked into that best 22 of Port and uh, has shown great scoring potential over the JLT. I think he's capable of something around 65, 70-ish average uh, if Port get on a bit of a run. Next up is Bailey Scott for North Melbourne. Now, this guy, Chizo, not really in my considerations at all pre-JLT, but he tore it up in his limited game time in the JLT. He played so incredibly well that I would be very shocked if he's not named in their round one squad. And if he is, he's showing good scoring potential and the fact that he's composed with the football already at this this level shows that if he gets a run, then he's probably going to put up some 50-plus, 60-plus scores and make us some decent money. So I think he's one to go with if he's named. Jackson Haitley is the next one. You might know more about this lad, but uh, I think he's safe for the first four or five rounds. They're missing a lot of midfield depth at the moment, Chizo, so... Someone that uh, I think really gets a look in. You're laughing again? <laughs> yeah, GWS and their midfield depth. I just, you know, in comparison to someone like Essendon, they just really struggle for depth in the midfield. So I'm, I'm with you there. He probably gets a game. <laughs> Why were you laughing <laughs> Oh, I think GWS obviously is probably the, um, has, still has the most talent on, the list, uh, on any list in the competition, even um, with all the, the, the players that left in the, uh, the off-season. The reason that I think Haightley gets a game is because Ward is out early. Now, he's primarily more of a... Uh, you know, a bi- midfield a, depth. Yeah, big body inside mid, so he's probably going to get a game. <laughs> but they also rate him for his versatility. I've seen quotes saying that they like him because he's a, a similar to a, um, a, a Tomlinson kind of player. So maybe... Maybe they have um, more than just that inside role because obviously you're going to see Taranto um, and Hopper hopefully step up and get more mid-time, which they weren't getting previously. So there's already people that can step in without Ward there. Um, it just probably means that he's going to get a game early. Um, when Ward comes back, his, his position might be in a little bit more um, jeopardy. But he is a really, really good player. So um, hopefully uh, he, he's going to get some uh, good games. And he does have good scoring potential because he is that contested type. So um, yeah, even at that elevated price of $149,000. I'm, I'm still really liking the look of Haightley. Yeah, he's in my squad as well currently. Uh, just the last couple here. Tom Atkins is another one, if he's named. Uh, showed very good scoring potential uh, in the JLT. Even though he's a pressure forward, uh, he will rely on, you know, those pressure forwards just get on a run some games and score 20, 30 and a quarter, and that sort of sets up their whole game. So he'll rely on that. But I think he's, uh, you know, you talk about Constable potentially being surplus to their needs. I think Atkins is quite the opposite. I think they've recruited him specifically because he does play that role and plays it well. So. Uh, I think he'll probably slot straight into their side and will be hard to replace uh, in their side as well in their best 22. Just lastly, Michael Gibbons uh, named alongside for Solo. So that's a very good sign for those worried about his uh, job security. Still kind of worried about it. I think he's only one or two bad games away from being dropped, but that's the same with most rookies. Here's basement price. Uh, Lastly, I just want to touch on his actual role being in the forward pocket for a Carlton side that... I'm not personally tipping in my top eight, Chizo, so I don't think points will be sort of flowing in their forward line this year. But look, if he, he's a battler and he can put together a couple of 40, 50-plus scores, he'll make enough money that we require anyway. Yeah, I think it's probably a little bit of a knock on him to say that he's a battler. He is by far the best VFL player in the land or one of the best underage, um, you know, the next level down. So um, just because he's playing forward pocket for the Blues and he's playing as that pressure forward, that's just the role that they need him to play. And they recognize that even though he didn't do that in the VFL, they're giving him the opportunity to do that. So um, there's going to be games where he pushes up the ground and is more of a free, uh, free player that, uh, is more to his liking because he's a he's a, a midfield bull in the VFL. So uh, just because he's in a forward pocket for the Blues doesn't really um, mean that I think it's going to be a disaster. I, I, I still have uh, high hopes for Gibbons. And, and, you know, the fact that he's the cheapest player in the game means that, you know, so what if he scores 50s? He's still going to make just as much money as some of these guys um, at 150k if they're scoring 70s, you know? So um, just keep that in the, the back of your mind. Uh, JB, the last one, last two that we'll touch on that you haven't mentioned, Nick Hind and Brett Bewley. 
they didn't really have great JLTs, even though they were in most of people's uh, you know preliminary squads before the JLTs kicked off. Um, Hind has some great outside pace, which I think St Kilda will use at some point this year. But um, obviously, the names that we've mentioned are based on what we've seen in the JLT, and we, that's you know that's the only footy we've had to go off. And likewise for Brett Bewley. Um, we just didn't see enough for him in JLT. They put him on for like something like twenty five percent game time across the two games, uh, you know. Uh, and so for someone, he dominated that twenty five percent as well. Yeah, well, in the second JLT, he really turned it over. I think he had five touches in the twenty percent he was on, and he had four clangers or something like that. So um, maybe he was just too pent up. He was like a puppy you've taken down the park, and he's just gone nuts as soon as they've <laughs> let him on the let him off the leash. So um, who knows? But uh, to keep in mind that Brett Bewley is a uh, um, one of the fittest blokes going around. So the fact that they weren't giving him game time um, is something that concerns me a little bit because as far as I'm aware, he doesn't have any injuries. It was just literally that Ross wasn't giving him a go. So um, I look, he could very well be named in round one and there was, you know, they were letting all the other young kids have a go, but um, we've only got JLT to go off. So that's all we can really um, touch on. Um, but yeah, I, I think that talks about those two guys that we had high hopes for before. Um, we'll talk about the Ruckman here in a second, JB. There's really only um, a couple that we should uh, talk about. Darcy Ford, as we mentioned earlier in the preseason, doesn't look like he's going to be ready. Um, probably won't play early, um, especially with Geelong's kind of a tough run to start the year. Um, so he's a pass for me at R3 as a cash generator. Obviously, um, we need to wait for teams, but Archie Smith could take that position from Steph Martin, but we won't know until uh, teams drop. And Zach Clark is really the only cash-generating option. JB, at 140k without Danaher, he might play early because he does. He did show last year in the Waffle that he can um, kick more than a, you know a goal a game. I think he had, I think he kicked uh, 28 for the season or something like that. So. Definitely some uh, potential for him to play there, JB. But what's your opinion between using R3 as a cash generator or as a loophole? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're your best options. I think a loophole will be more beneficial in the long run. But at the same time, you know, we talk about these rookies with poor job security. Someone's going to get dropped early. It's it's just a, a matter of who it always happens uh, every single year. We, we end up with a player on our bench with him round three or four anyway. So if you do really fancy Clark for the first few rounds and think you can nail your captaincy shots, then I don't mind it. I think he will play uh, quite a bit early. Uh, even when Danaher comes back, they won't want to throw him straight into the ruck, so Clark might stick around for a couple more rounds after that still. Uh, I don't mind the pick. I'd th- I think personally I'd rather save the 40k and, and sort of just invest it in my other rookies, make sure I've got the best going on uh, in every other line and go with a, a loophole option. Uh, if you are doing so, Patrick Bynes is the best uh, loophole option with DPP status. If you want to you know, look at getting West off later on in the year and, and having some extra cover there in your ruck line as well as having a loophole early, he's the one to go. But Jordan Sweet from the Western Bulldogs is the best one to actually loophole the most uh, Sunday games the best loophole in capacity the one that you know matches up with your probable vice captains slash captaincy options so there's that as well but I don't mind those who are going with Zach Clark I think it's just a matter of preference uh, Chizo or if someone maybe hates every single forward rookie for some reason <laughs> wants to pop their loophole in there I don't have an issue with that either so yeah it's really you know, personal preference in that instance. Okay, very good segue to the forward rookies, mate. We're a little bit in uh, dire <laughs> straits here, mate. Uh, I, I will have to talk about number three on Pistol's list of the uh, the best forward rookies because it's a very interesting name. Um, but just take us through the forward rookies here for us. Yeah, so actually a, a lot of messages to the uh, the page asking who number three actually was. And it, it does say here, cry a little. I think uh, Pistol is referencing the fact that uh, after Will Satterfield and Willem Drew, who have shown the, the best scoring potential thus far and uh, at least good enough job security, there really is a big drop-off in our forward rookies. Next one on Pistol's list here, I'll read straight from it, is Matthew Parker. Uh, he's shown great job security. I think Richard really likes him and spoke of how he opens up the, the door for a Billings and, and such to go through the midfield more this season, which I think they like. But his scoring potential really isn't there. I think we're happy with a 60 from him. I think that's a very good game from, from Parker, which will make enough money, but he has to string a few together to you know make decent cash. 
it'll be a slow burn. Someone that's probably on your bench until around about the buys, in which case you could probably upgrade around then. Uh, the next one is, uh, I'm sorry if I mess up this pronunciation, Chizo, but it's Jack Petrocelli. Yes, smack, smack right. bang on. There we go. Uh, he was not an option in the preseason. If you saw his score last year, you'll know why. <laughs> it was about 20 um, in about 100% time on ground as well, so not very great. But this year in the JLT and considering the preseason that we've heard he's had, he did have a very good score. I think it was up in around the 87 mark in JLT too. Did look the goods and he's going to get games early at the very least. Probably someone that'll make you hopefully quick cash. Hopefully he puts up a 70, gets on the end of a few goals in a West Coast win. But uh, at worst case scenario, he'll make you at least a decent enough money with okay job security. Lastly, we spoke about Noah Bolter earlier. I don't really know what to make of his job security now, Chizo, with Tom Lynch in the team as well with him. Um, maybe Ivan Soldo kicks him out later on in the season. Maybe they just decide to go smaller. I'm not actually sure. He could be in there for two rounds or eight or 10 or 22. So really, your guess is as good as mine. His scoring potential is up there with the best that I've named on this list, though. So, sure. you know, pick your poison. Yeah. Uh, from a Port Supporter point of view, I just want you to talk with me a little bit about Will Drew. Do you think he's only going to get a handful of games before Wines come comes back or do you feel like someone else is going to um, you know take that fall when Wines comes in because you know Drew does have that good scoring potential we, um, he, he's got a bigger body kind of a, uh, a midfield kind of player and it's what we want and it's something that we can really put on our field and like be happy that we're going to get a 60 or 70 in any given week but is that job security a little bit tricky there? Yeah, so, I mean, it's always tricky with Port players. Ken Hinkley has shown in the past that he can play them for one week and sit them for the rest of the year. Still have Brett Eddy on my forward bench at the moment, actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's made zero money. But uh, thanks for that one, Ken. But uh, Willem Drew, he's been on our list for three years now, Chizo. Been very injury-plagued in the past, but really turns it on when he plays uh, in the SNFL for the Maggies and has every quality that we could want in a team. This is his year. He's had a, a faultless preseason thus far. His body looks great. He played super well in the JLT. He looked very composed as well. If he doesn't play in, up until the bye, like, I mean, unless he's really sputting it up, then, you know, I'll, I'll be very, very disappointed as a Port supporter. I think, you know, if we're not giving this guy a go after three years on the list and he's finally fit and looking great, then. You know, for me, there's just there's no point in having him on there at all. You know, it's it's just it's a tough situation, and you know, I don't think Ollie Wines will push him out. I think the 22nd worst player on our list at, at that exact point will get kicked out of the squad. But Willem Drury, yeah, I'm I'm going to back him into play at least the first half a dozen rounds. Okay, sure. Uh, and two that we should really touch on. Uh, we'll first touch on um, Chris Burgess again. Um, obviously, with the DPP with defence, you're really picking him as a, a swing. Um, or if you're really short on options, um, that's who you can go for. Uh, just because of his job security, that really helps him. Like he might be a slow burn, but at least he's playing. Um, and for those that have Jack Lacocious and Nick Blakey, um, two more key forward types. Types aren't really going to help for their scoring in their first year. Just think about uh, how many key forwards taken in the you know the top ten of a draft, um, at really good scorers the following year. Not many. So, um, Paddy McCartan. Yeah, he he's been uh, been a great pickup since uh, pick one, but we don't need to touch on that. <laughs> we, we, we don't 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 need to set Kano off. Um, <laughs> we'll jump into the next one. We we'll talk about the best uh, best rookies. Obviously, we we're a little bit more in depth because there's a lot to go through. We'll talk about the best mid prices um, in each line here, JB, and what you actually classify as a mid pricer. Because I like, uh, I think it's really important to differentiate between people that you are picking at a certain price that will um, need to be keepers by picking them and some that are actually genuinely cheap enough to be called mid-prices. Yeah, so it's difficult, isn't it? Uh, you've got your fallen keepers or fallen premiums like Zach Williams, who a lot of people are considering as a mid-pricer due to his price point, but myself, I'd be very disappointed if you know he made 100, 100K and I was trading matter around the buys. That'd be a failed pick in my opinion. So for me, I've got him down as a fallen premium. Mid-prices such as Brody Smith and Tom Liberatore are more traditional mid-prices players that I'm picking because they're around that 300K mark and can score... Almost like premiums, but enough to, you know, get 
if I if I split them into two and had two rookies on the field, I'd be scoring a lot less points, making probably similar money. So I'm going with the mid pricer instead. Uh, you know, hopefully scores around the 80 to 90 mark and, and makes us still that same amount of cash. Whilst they cost more, they score more. You get more points. You know, money for points sort of thing. So it is tough to weigh out, but uh, I think it's important to say that those sorts of players that you don't expect to have after the buy rounds are definitely your mid prices. Um, if they're below 250k, they're probably more rookie price than anything. So Darcy more is more of a rookie price player than a mid price player in my opinion. But yeah, at the end of the day, it's you know you draw the line wherever you personally see fit. So yeah, no, I appreciate that. And I guess the the question being in terms of the price point, Zach Williams at 410k. I feel that if he doesn't become a keeper, that's a failed selection. So at that kind of price point, he's more of a player that you're expecting to become a premium. Whereas Brody Smith, if he only averages 90 and doesn't become a premium, for example, and you you know at D6. Um, uh, you want to try and upgrade that, that's not necessarily a failed selection because at only 330K, if he's averaging 90, he's making you a considerable amount of money that you can uh, use as a stepping stone. So he's uh, definitely a, a kind of a mid-pricer that I consider a stepping stone uh, and not so much Zach Williams. Uh, what I do want to talk about, uh, JB, uh, we'll go to the midfield. You have mentioned players below 250 are uh, um, a mid-pricer, uh, uh, sorry, a rookie, um, but... Players like James Cousins that are about 220, so you're you're considering them part of the rookie selections that you're looking at your team. You're comparing them with a Sam Walsh as to which position they might get in your side because they just are so cheap. Yeah, so uh, they're essentially rookie priced. You need them to score like a rookie would, even though it's his second year in the league. Uh, it's yeah, it's less of a mid price selection, and if it was 100k more. I'd expect you know an extra 10, 20 points more, and he'd be a mid-pricer. Yeah, sure. So the two JLT uh, mid-priced options that we should talk about in the midfield is Dom Sheed and Brad Crouch. What's your perspective on those? Um, because I think it comes from two different schools of thought. I think we always thought Brad Crouch was going to do this, and now the question is more durability and whether we have the, the guts to pick him. Whereas Dom Sheed is kind of someone over the last couple of years has had small patches of brilliance, but has never really shown this kind of, um, you know, taste for the massive amount of disposals. So uh, what's your opinion about those two? I really do dislike both these picks. <laughs> it's, it's hard to talk up players that, you know, I've personally never really considered in my squad because, you know, you look at Dom Sheed's history, he's averaging a high of 83 points per game. You know, that that's just not enough for his price point. He's he's heavily priced this season. And, you know, if I if I was picking him, I'd expect at least he's four hundred K. I'd be expecting at least a ninety, ninety five average. He's all of a sudden he's improving on his average, his best ever average by, you know, twelve points. It's possible. I don't I don't think it's you know, I'm not going to rule it out. And if it did happen, I wouldn't be super surprised. But I just don't understand the risk of, you know, grabbing someone like Dom Sheed for 100k over someone like Tom Liberatore. Uh, I mean, I suppose you alleviate some of the durability issues, but at the same time, you know, you're essentially taking the same risk around the same price point, except, you know, you're paying 100k out for someone who's never been a premium or put out premium numbers. Besides in the JLT, Jesus, which people are considering to be very important at this stage of the year. So, uh, the next one, Brad Crouch. Uh, I mean, there's not a lot that I can say about Crouchy that I haven't said before. Love him as a player. Would absolutely love to see him play, you know, 18 plus games. But history is just against him. And if you're picking someone that you think you might be trading out after round one or two due to injury, you know, it's just so hard to convince myself to put them in the team because at that point, it's like someone scoring negative. You're, you're using a trade which has a points and money value on someone that hasn't really attributed anything to your side besides you know a couple of rounds of score so to me Brad Crouch is just too hard a pill to swallow but I more understand the risk for Brad Crouch that people are taking over you know someone like Sheed who's never really done it in the past but yeah it's 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 hard it's very difficult Jeez, though, to, to weigh up the pros and cons like this and and to say categorically good pick bad pick because it just completely depends on on luck and how their body is and how their performances are and you know from what we've seen in the past they're obviously priced where they are for a reason and you know that's that's where people have all these headaches about whether they should be starting 
one of these, two of these, you know, none of these. It's it's really tough. Sure. Well, I'll, I'll give you some perspective in the way that I look at things. Um, what I like to do is look at the type of injury they've had uh, first off, and I also like to look at their history. So I'm much more comfortable picking a player that has done it before and has had a serious long-term injury such as an ACL uh, because that's not something that, you know, you have repeatedly. When you... Um, I mean, you can have you know more than one, obviously. Like just uh, Nick Nat and Libra have had more than one. But the point I'm trying to make is, if they're fit, they're playing 20 games in the year. Whereas Brad Crouch, just every second week has a hamstring niggle, or he has a quad niggle, or he has a side strain, or he's done his calf, or he's broken his toe. Like just there's always seems to be something small that just keeps coming up with Brad Crouch. And so that's the thing that puts me away because if Libba is fit and he's running, he doesn't have that history of soft tissue injuries that is going to interrupt your your team. It's the, the constant one week here, two weeks there, one week injured, two weeks on the park that just you don't know whether to trade them out. At least with long-term injuries like Libba's where you just, if you had him, you got rid of him kind of situation. So it makes it a lot easier as a coach. And the second thing that I'm looking at as well is the price point. So with Brad Crouch at, I think it was 420K or somewhere thereabouts, he's in 26% of teams. At 420K, his ceiling that you need him to go at to become a stepping stone almost makes him a keeper, right? So you're basically saying if Brad Crouch doesn't become a keeper, he's a failed selection. For him to make you 100K, he's got to average 100 or you know 95 to 100. So you're, you've got such a high expectation on him that it, there's a higher likelihood that it's going to fail. Whereas someone like Liberatore, and this is if we're comparing them side by side, it, people might be in different situations, people might have both. Uh, but Liber at 300,000, he's almost in the 200,000s, that's how cheap he is. We just need him to go 80, 85, which we know he ha- he can do. We've got years of history that he can do that, that all he needs to do is just go at an 80 and he becomes a, you know, you don't need him to become a um, uh, anything more than a stepping stone that he is. And that's why I like picking um, these kind of players that A, it's been a long-term, it's not a repeated soft issue injury. B, he's got the, the long-term history from multiple years in the past. We know he can score. And um, C, he's a cheaper price point. We don't need that ceiling to be as high for it to be a, um, a better selection. So therefore, the risk is lower picking someone like that. That's the way I see it. And just looking at it now, there's 26% of teams that have Brad Crouch and there's 14% that have Dom Sheed. And I think, you know, if you have both of them, you could, you know, be a thousand points ahead of the, the pack by round five, but you could also be five trades down. So that that's yeah. the trade-off you have to make, JB. And how often do we see players like this that are sort of fringe of becoming great players and, and sort of your game once every month sort of players? How often do we see them dominate the JLT? Because, you know, the experienced players that are dominating the actual season are, are taking it a little bit slower. The rookies aren't quite up to scratch. But these sort of mid-tier players, the, the JLT is a slower-paced... The, the players are really just trying to get a touch for it. And, you know, if you come out with this sort of attitude that Sheed and, and Crouches and players like that come out with, you, you're going you're gonna to do well. And not to take anything away from their, like, not to discredit any of their efforts because they're obviously good players in their own right. But the actual season proper is a faster game. It's a, you know, it's a more skillful game. It's a more physical game. And, you know, Brad Crouch's body is just shown so many times in the past, it just can't sustain it. And, you know, whether he misses two weeks here, two weeks there, one week there, ten weeks there, like, he's, he will miss games this season. It's just a matter of when and when you're wasting a trade on him. Hopefully for those that select him, I do hope for you guys that it comes around the buy time and, you know, by that time he's made you maybe 100K and it is a successful pick. But, you know, there's every single chance that it's in round one or two. It's just crazy. And, you know, Dom Sheed, I'll be happy to select him at that price if he comes out and scores 120 in back-to-back rounds in the first two weeks, but I just have not seen him have that sort of scoring ability during the season, and you know, 
JLT, it's just not, it just isn't the season. Yeah. Jizo, so. yeah, Dom Sheed reminds me of Aaron Hall from a couple of seasons ago. Remember when he had yeah. a great JLT, he came out first two or three rounds, was going nuts, everyone jumped on, and then I don't think he touched the ball for the rest of the year. Like, it, yeah, I, that, that's just what, like, um, I, I'm more than happy to jump on people that have done it before than trying to predict a breakout because it feels great when you predict a breakout. If you jump off Tim, jump on Tim Taranto this year and he just bursts through the ceiling, you feel good about yourself. But they fail more often than they succeed. So you've just got to be really careful. And if you stack four or five people in your team like that, then you're in a little bit of issues. So um, we should talk uh, quickly about some mid-prices in the forward line. There's not a whole lot that we should talk about um, in terms of mid-prices, but we, uh, I guess we should talk about the two, Toby Green and Jack Billings, JB. Just give me your opinion on both of those. And again, there's that price point difference that should dictate whether one's a future keeper or if one's a stepping stone. Yeah, and uh, with these guys, I know Toby Green's priced more as a stepping stone, but I'm sort of selecting him as a, a former a premium, a fallen premium. So um, I sort of have the same expectations as I would with Billings, which makes you know the 100k off of Billings price even better. But he does come with actual legitimate durability issues, whereas Billings was just performance issues last season. So. Um, I think they're both merited picks in their own right. Um, if you're willing to risk it on uh, Toby Green like I am, he's currently in my squad, then you know credit to you. And if he does have a, a you know a faultless year in terms of injury, then you're probably getting a player that can, that will average 90, 95 plus at 350k. Chances are he, he'll probably miss a couple of games during the season. Uh, that's generally just how his seasons have <laughs> from gone from fly kicking people this year. Remember, he can he can't fly kick people anymore. Yeah, well, that's that's true as well. It's only a free kick against Ochizo, so, I mean, unless he does it to the head, maybe. But <laughs> um, So, yeah, he loses two, three marks a game on that just alone. But, um, nah, it's just, I I do like Toby Green as an option. He's shown that he can do it in the past, and he's a very, very cheap option. He's almost, the, well, he's just more expensive than Brody Smith, and, you know, I think he's way more of a chance to become a, a keeper by the end of the season. So, um, that's how I justify that pick. Billings, you're... 100% reliant on the coach's ability to coach. Uh, in this case, Alan Richardson has shown that he can't coach and puts Bill on the forward line when he's a midfielder. No, I mean, hey, look at their last season, Chizo. Uh, this guy's obviously on the chopping block. If I were him fighting for my job, I'd put the players where they play best and I'd be playing Billings through the midfield. If that happens, I can completely see him being a top six forward. Yeah, and I guess this further illustrates my point that we just talked about in the midfield is that Toby Green is someone that we have evidence that he has gone at a premium level before. Jack Billings, we're predicting that he will get there at some point, but we don't know. We've never seen it for an extended period of time. So the fact that um, Green is $80,000 cheaper and he's got the history. I mean, when you think about it, there were a lot of really good coaches last year that started Toby Green at 550 k Like why, <laughs> Myself included. Yeah, why would you not start him at 350 If he's If he's right to go, then by the same... Like, you're going against your own logic if you don't start him this year. So um, the, the, he works as a stepping stone whereas Jack Billings is 440k if you're shelling that out you know to become a worthwhile stepping stone he needs to nearly reach 600 grand like it's 600 grand's like nearly 110 average so he's a keeper anyway so he's not a stepping stone you're you're picking him to break out and be um, a top six forward so just think about that before you pick him if you think he's going to be a top six top ten then jump on um, but just know he's not a stepping stone so uh, that's the differentiation that I wanted to make just there JB uh, the last thing that we should touch on in terms of uh, we've talked about rookies we've talked about mid prices we'll quickly go through some premiums in each line that you aren't starting JB but you wish you could so I don't want you to reveal your team but just give me um, say a defender a midfielder and a forward Forward, um, and even a ruck if you want to that you wish you could start but you just you, you, you're not uh, doing that at the moment okay sure uh, I like this exercise every year because I'll listen back on this podcast and wonder why I didn't start them but uh, Jack Crisp is my first one in defense I think he's just really nailed on for a 95 average and you know we'll get in that top six to eight defenders uh, kind of cheap as well for considering his genuine consistency and, and actually he's got a quite a good ceiling as well so I do like the Chris pick this year um, I, yeah I wish I could fit him into my back line but he's not in there at the moment uh, in the midfield I love 
I mean, I'm not going to take Andrew Brayshaw because I think he's getting more and more popular. I think Jack Steele is absolutely going to break out this year. Has a very super coach friendly game with contested possessions and tackles. Uh, if I were picking yeah, a team that I think are breakout contenders, he'd be my first pick. So I do love Jack Steele this year. Uh, not ballsy enough to pick him myself. Doesn't quite fit my structure. If I had another midfielder, I'd definitely consider it, but probably would still be too scared, Chizo. But uh, on the rocks, yeah, you're right. There's no one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wish I was picking Grundy and Garner, which I am, but uh, we'll go to the <laughs> forward line and... Ah, this is a tough one because there's a lot of forwards that I hate uh, and not many that I enjoy this year, which is why I've ended up with Toby Green. But I think Dunkley's the one that I would choose in the forward line if I could, uh, if my uh, uh, my formation permit- permitted it. Uh, I've lost the ability to talk to <laughs> but he he's absolutely a gun midfielder. Uh, I, for some reason, I actually trust that Bevo will play him in that midfield role for the most part of the season, and if that happens, then a 100-plus average wouldn't be shocking. Uh, it wouldn't be probable, but it, it's not shocking to me, Chizo. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'll, I'll jump through some of my own. Um, in the defensive line, I have been big on this guy all preseason, and just the way I've gone with my structure, I just can't fit him in. I really want to, and that's Shannon Hearn. So he's only in 7% of teams. Um, he's the sixth ranked defender for um, uh, Price at the moment um, because he had such a good year last year. And he did have, uh, I think it was a career best season at 96 or something like that. But I just think this year, particularly with the kickout rule changing just enough and the fact that um, he played on the most in the preseason, it just screams to me that he's going to be a good selection. And, you know... I find it really hard to see him going sub 100 this year, um, as opposed to someone like a Lockie Whitfield that's in 30% of teams and we aren't really sure what his role is. Um, you, you know, I think there's such a disconnect between those two and I'd be, I, I so want to pick Shannon Hearn and if I had another defensive spot, I probably would pick him. Um, in the midfield, I really want to find an accumulator um, that uh, I can fit in there. So, um I'm going a little bit uh, deeper in my midfield at the moment just because of um, I'm a little bit worried about the rookies that we may or may not have. And so, so another player that I've been really big on the preseason that I think I'm about 800 bucks short from fitting into my current structure is... Oh, that's the worst. I know. It's Lockie Neal. I, I really think Lockie Neal is going to have a really, really good year this year. Um and, you know, going to the Lions, I think he's got a better core around him of good young players with the McCluggages and, and, and things like that that he didn't have at Frio. Um, and he's just, uh, he's going to be the number one cog in there and he's going to be helping feed it out to the others. The only problem with Lockie is that he needs like 85 disposals in a match to, you know, um, have a, uh, you know, because he just handballs it so much because he's so in and under that I think it um, hurts his ceiling a little bit. But um, towards the back end of last year, he was the closest to cracking the 120 that didn't quite make it. I think he was ahead of Josh Kelly in the back end of the year. Um, he was ahead of Trelaw. He was ahead of Coniglio, um, uh, ahead of Oliver, a hell of a, a lot of these guys. And I think he's he, he's really under-owned and under-appreciated amongst um, that price point, even though he is still in 18% of teams. So uh, someone that I wish I could start. Um, in the uh, the ruck line, I really wish that I could start Scotty Lysette. Uh, JB, um, no, I'm just Scotty Lice. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just throwing that out to my mate Rain Man because he loves him. Um, uh, in the forward line, <laughs> in the forward line, uh, uh, I've got another old guy here, JB. David Mundy, only in two percent of teams uh, as of right now. Uh, I would love to have. Uh, David Mundy as a point of difference in the forward line because I think he's going to get midfield time. I don't think they're going to stick him up forward with the arrivals of Lobb and Hogan when he does come back. Um, the the loss of Neil means they another need need another senior body. He is a bona fide midfielder star of the competition in years past. And in 2015, I think it was um, when he played full time midfield, he averaged 114 SuperCoach points. So you know, uh, risk-reward, uh, 2% of teams, what a perfect point of difference you could have. And Frio have a decent start to the year as well. So, 
Um, if he's getting midfield time, you know, especially if and um, Nat Fife misses a game or two, he has to be in the midfield. You know, there's only so much these young kids can do, especially if they might actually look like winning a game. So I would absolutely love to have <laughs> David Mundy, but um, it seems right now it's very difficult for me to pass up a Heaney and a Dunkley um, in the forward line right now. So he's someone that I, I, I've toyed with F4, depending on um, what I was messing around my team trying to work out the perfect structure, but I just can't squeeze him in right now. Um, so that's uh, the the lines that um, just some uh, premiums that we do want to fit in, JB. Talking about uh, big premiums, we should talk about our captaincy options for this opening round, JB. We've got Lahug's captains. He's back again, round one, 2019. VC options, he is a big, big fan um, of Brody Grundy, Dangerfield, and Cripps. And he likes going into uh, a Max Gorn um, or a Dangerfield JB. Who are you liking in terms of captaincy options this week? Yeah, so I haven't done extensive research on this yet, uh, which is great. So, uh, good way to start uh, my answer on a podcast. But, um, I think just from the eye test, Patrick Cripps, uh, absolutely. I'd, I mean, just purely for the fact that I really want to watch and support him as much as possible and don't want to look at the uh, the full-time Supercoach scores in that first game of the year and see Cripps on 150 and no vice-captaincy on the man. So... I think he's absolutely safe as houses to go vice-captaincy and, and make sure you don't get burnt by the competition for missing out on that one. And then uh, just coming off the back of that, I think Brody Grundy's a great option, uh, although his JLT wasn't exactly flattering for him. Um, if you're still a little bit scared of that, which I think you'll be very convinced after the first round that he's not going to be playing like the JLT, uh, I think Dangerfield is also an extremely safe option. So... Uh, those guys, Crips into Grundy or Dangerfield will be uh, my move right now. Sure. Now, there's two guys I do want to touch on that we haven't really mentioned that is probably surprising a few people. Jack McRae only averaging 108 against Sydney in his last three with a top of 123. Not really... Um, shocking numbers. Yeah. Well, it depends what you what you uh, determine as shocking there, JB. <laughs> but in terms of captaincy options, if I, he put up a, a, a um, 103 or a 98 like he has in two of his past three you're probably not super impressed um however at uh marvel which they kicked the season off with it's 128 average in his last three so um he's probably going to get the tag from georgie hewitt so just be wary of that um and nat fife for example his last three against north 163 139 126 for 143 three round rolling average however his last three in perth only averaging 91 but that is injury affected um in there and one of the last three in Perth was also against North where he put up that 163. So if he's fit for round one, I have absolutely no problems backing him in for a um, a big score. And Lahug's backed him in for a 130 as well, um, uh, which is uh, good news. Uh, the fact that he plays the last game of the round means that um, if you've got anyone that you want to try as a VC, uh, maybe you want to try a Dangerfield or you want to try a Grundy, you can uh, skip a few games and have a go because you've always got Nat Fife to back you up at the end if you do have him. So um, give me your number one VC option, JB, right now. I mean, Patrick Cripps. Okay. My VC option uh, is probably Danger. I'm happy for th- uh, to go Danger into uh, someone like a Max Gorn. I think uh, I'd be happy with that kind of scenario. What would be your captaincy option if you're going with Cripps? <laughs> probably Dangerfield. Cool. All right. Like it. Um, the last thing that I think is important to touch on, JB, is the uh, the fact that the buys this year aren't split up into two separate sections. We don't have that early buy that we need to consider. Uh, the buys are two. Th- uh, sorry, they are round twelve, round thirteen, round fourteen. And the one question I want to put to you, JB, is it worth really spending a lot of time considering buy structure when we're creating our sides? Because presumably by round 12, we would have already cashed in a few rookies for premium options anyway. And so the assumption I'm making is that we can trade around the buyers before we even get there. So they're less of an impact as, say, a few years ago when they started off at like round 10. Yeah, so uh, essentially I I don't stress at all about the buyers at this point of the year. Um, Before the first lockout starts, I just want to make sure that my structure's don't include four or 
I mean, really, I think three is a bit of a risk, but going in with four players from the same line, in the same line from the same buy, uh, is very, very risky, and I think can set you up for failure because you're already limiting the amount of players that you can get on field that, that week when you've already got four or three or four premiums on your on your line there. But at the same time, like if someone showed me Dangerfield, Heaney, and Kelly, I'd be fine with it. As long as they know that you know trading in someone like Darling or Menegola before their buy is probably something that you'd want to avoid. And you know if they showed me a team with you know, starting four of those five, I'd definitely be throwing up warning signs at that point, just advising them maybe to uh, either look to another premium or, or maybe try and cull one altogether and start one on a different line for that buy. So try not to clog one of your lines with one buy. Um, but besides that, I mean, you know, if you've got X amount of players playing in this buy, this buy, this buy, it's not hugely important at the moment. Um, it, I mean, unless you're every single player is on one buy, which is unlikely. But yeah, just you know, touch over it, but don't get too far into it. I don't think. Yeah, sure. So I, I guess the question we should make, um, or the, the the postulation we should say, is round thirteen is probably the big buy. That's where you've got Brisbane, Collingwood, Geelong, Melbourne, Sydney, and West Coast. And so those that are going Brody, Grundy, and Max Gorn in the rucks are not going to have anyone come on the field because presumably you've got a loophole, right? So I think that's the week we have to be really careful because you also have players like Dangerfield. You've got Kelly, you've got Minigola, you've got Heaney, you've got Franklin, you've got Lloyd. There's a lot of these premium options that we can choose from that round that we need to be careful of. However, I think that if you're... I don't think you need to... Um, so I'm seeing some some talk saying that you shouldn't start Grundy and Gorn because they have the same buy. That's To me, that's nonsense. That, you know, round 13 is so far in the future that you can adjust your upgrades accordingly. So that's not something I think is even relevant with starting those two if you want to start those two. I think it just means... Your mid your your forward line when you start the year shouldn't be Danger Heaney Kelly Menegola and then have um, the likes of Lloyd and such in the back line. I think um, you, if you're happy with those two, maybe you go um, say a Dunkley instead of a Heaney who's got round twelve with the Western Bulldogs instead. So um, you know, I, I think it's not going to be too much of an issue this year for the buys because I I really like the buys because pretty much every year JB I, I make a jump because um, I seem to navigate them quite well. Um, but this year, just the, the fact that they're a little bit later, I think uh, we're going to find it a lot easier to navigate. So um, I'm reasonably, uh, reasonably happy with that, JB. You, you concur? Yeah, I do agree. Well said. Beautiful. Do you have anything, lastly, that you want to touch on? Any messages you want to send out to uh, the community? Any, uh, any advice to stop them from panic trading like I did last year? Uh, don't panic trade unless you're trading in Sean Higgins, which is the only <laughs> exception to the panic trade. But uh, look, we've we've gotten this far. We've assessed the JLT, hopefully not too strongly uh, considered the JLT form, but more the, the roles that they played. And we've done the research. I'd advise all people, and especially you, Chizo, <laughs> to not suddenly go off the cuff and, and start making impulse decisions just because you know a rookie who was sitting at M34 has now been dropped and you were considering him at one point in the pre Like, Just back in what you've, you've put in and... You know, if I if I were everyone, I'd be having little plan Bs in place in case the the team selections don't go as well as what you think. But other than that, you know, we've put in all this research, all these weeks, as nerve wracking as it is that we're about to be locked into something that we could previously make unlimited trades on. Is it's not the end of the world. Uh, you can easily trade out of a, a couple of difficult situations. And to quote a super coach master. You can't win Supercoach in round one, Chizo. That's right. But you can lose it. <laughs> That's absolutely right. So um, the the patrons already know this from our, our exclusive podcast, but Chizo's rule number three for the preseason guide to making your Supercoach team is have a play and walk away. So... What that means is don't sit there and trade this guy for that guy and that guy for that guy and just infinite little loops of just you know frantically just seeing what option you can come up with. By now, you know the structure that you like. You should have a team that you're reasonably happy with. Maybe one or two players you're still deciding on, but you should kind of know, I want this this many defenders. I think we've got this many rookies to choose from. And that's kind of what you should stick with. You know, So just set a team. 
and then just have a sleep on it. You know, wake up tomorrow morning and have another look at it and you'll automatically look at this team that you have and say, oh no, I'm still really worried about that. Or, you know, you're still happy with it. So, that you know, that's the best way uh, to kind of find out whether you're, you know, subconsciously happy with your team. But if you're constantly changing things, you can't remember what your team looked like an hour ago and you might go past a combination that you were actually happy with, but you, you know, you didn't give it the time to settle. So um, that's something that I like to do, uh, JB. Uh, that pretty much wraps up the final preseason podcast, JB. Where can the uh, the lovely listeners find us during the week? Well, I did butcher this last podcast, but I'll give it another shot. <laughs> so uh, you can find Chizo at Chizo underscore Dr. Supercoach, so D-R-S-C. You can find Pistol at Pistol underscore DRSC also and JB at JB underscore DRSC. The main Twitter account is Dr. underscore SC. Hey, we got it. There we go. Uh, which we'll be posting all the live scores, all the updates, all the injuries, all the late outs. So make sure you give that one a follow. And of the three podcasters, Cheese, I'd recommend going and following the guy who is followed by Sean Higgins. Well, you say that, but you totally neglecting the fact that I got featured on the God of All Fantasy Footy podcast. I was on the the Footy Rhino podcast. I got a question on there. I you know just slumped back in my seat, almost Cheezo. died. I was just so happy. We're the god of all fantasy footy podcasts. What are you talking about? Look, mate, real, recognize real. That's Apparently, that's what all the <laughs> okay. people in the prison I appreciate say. that. Yeah, so <laughs> um, the original, let's just say. So uh, my life was made, your life was made. Pistols, you know, he, he probably met a calculator creator or something like that and had his life made. So <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we'll never know uh, because, they, you know, they talk in binary, so we wouldn't know anyway. Um, so oh, no. <laughs> it's been great chatting to you, mate. I, uh, uh, we were going to do a short podcast and it's turned into this huge content-filled one, but it's been great that you've been sticking it out with me. Community, if you do want to leave us a review, you can on across all platforms, iTunes, Podbean, whatever, um, or don't. It's up to you. We're just happy to keep creating it for you because we love Supercoach and we love you for listening. So we'll talk to you again soon. Good luck, community.